This is Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast that killed its own grandfather and yet seems to be doing just fine, thanks. Today we're talking about the rules of time travel in popular fiction. This is Mark Lintemeyer stuck inside a time loop with the Memphis Blues again. This is Erica Spires furiously photoshopping my likeness back into my family photos. I'm Brian Hurt, and when I go to type, go back in time to kill in Google, it auto-completes Voldemort. So I really don't know where this conversation is going to take us. <laughs> and I'm Ken Gerber. I'm a writer and co-editor and co-publisher of Constellary Tales. And I'm calling you from one hour in the future, or one hour in the past if you're listening from Puerto Rico. Nice. Ooh. Welcome, Ken. Good to have you, Ken. Thank you. It's good to be here. I'm really glad to be part of this podcast today. So Brian and Ken, you can tell by their voices, they're siblings and their different last names. Yeah, what's going on there? Time travel. We'll explain part of it. You know, actually, I've never <laughs> noticed that before now, Brian, that you had a different last name than I did. That is weird. Oh my gosh. All right, new topic for the podcast. <laughs> and they have co-written stories together, which is an incredible feat in itself, some of which have been about time travel. So we had decided on this topic. I was going to say in light of Terminator coming out, but nobody else actually saw the movie <laughs> besides me. So I guess we're not going to focus on that. We could talk about Terminator. We can totally. Here's the thing. I was going to go see it last week. My husband went without me. He was very underwhelmed. And then this week got really busy, so I didn't get a chance to see it. I didn't see the last one. Who, who was in the last one? I'm trying to remember. Amelia Clark and Right. I didn't see that one, but I've seen the others. You know, it's a good series, but like, it just seems like this last one isn't getting great reviews, and so I'm just not that excited. What did you think about it, Mark? I think it was actually a really good action movie. As far as the time travel logic, eh. And, and of course, it was still very derivative of like the second one. And yeah, the whole series has just been a, the first two were good in different ways, and all the rest of them have been striving back to that in various ways. But since they haven't actually been directed by James Cameron... <laughs> Maybe even that wouldn't do the trick, but even if he puts his seal of approval or executive produces them, they're still, it's not going to be the same thing. You know, it's funny because we're talking about time travel, but when Marty McFly goes into the future and you see it's Jaws, what what number? Is it like 13 or something like that? Mm -hmm. Like, I remember seeing that movie and thinking, oh, that's ridiculous. I can't imagine these movie trilogies ever going on that long. And little did I know, we have Fast and the Furious, that whole franchise. And so it will be like, now, what is it, four or five, five Terminators? This whole thing of a series denying that the ones that you didn't care about actually happened. Oh, right, yeah. And what's unique about that series, of course, is that, I mean, you could pretend like, oh, number three actually happened, but then in number four, they undid what made number three would have happened. So number three didn't happen after all. But you know, Mark, that actually gets to what's wrong with the whole series. As much as I remember really enjoying the spectacle of 2 when I saw it, the moment 2 starts happening, they pretty much ruin the whole thing. right? You had this nice little tight cyclical thing that happens in 1. And as soon as you say, well, yeah, but maybe it didn't happen that way because we can keep ruining it as much as we want to keep making more movies. Like Once you've opened that door then none of it matters because you always have the next future thing that can, whatever we saved is fully ruinable and we're spoiling this new movie, right? Because no one cares. I'm going to spoil <laughs> a movie I haven't seen, but I've, I've read a review and sure. So here we go, everybody. So John Connor gets killed really early in this new movie. And like, why did I invest so much time in John Connor if he was so important for the first movie and in subsequent movies and in a TV show? And now we don't care. Because he's dead, but it doesn't really matter. 
Yeah, that seems like bad writing, right? Just airing my beefs with the Terminator. Ken, what do you think? I've got problems with the, the Terminator series that go beyond the time travel issues. I think with time travel, you have to decide how much paradox and nonsense are you going to tolerate because you have to accept some, right? There's no, I mean, one of the charms of time travel is that there's really no version of it that works. So if it doesn't work a little bit, it's okay. But if it's a complete timey-wimey ball of nonsense, when does it stop being okay? My problem with Terminator was um, there's a lot of unacceptable sort of fascism in the first couple of movies with killing the the punk and it's kind of he's killing the punk rocker for laughs and then he's killing the country bumpkin for laughs i remember being uncomfortable with that yeah and i did enjoy seeing the liquid metal that was sort of fun and there's some fun stuff but i wasn't even on board with the first couple and i didn't even watch the later ones are any of the other later ones good they have their moments i think i wouldn't say good i even enjoyed number three in the theater because i waited so long to see it and, you know, it was fine, but like it's looked back on as the only one that was acknowledged at the time to be vastly inferior to the previous ones. Because the one after that with Christian Bale that actually takes place in the future, that was like prompted as, ooh, this one's actually artsy. This one is actually good. You know, it completely blows number three out of the water. Number three was just a little hack film, but this one, so it ended up being like a big pretentious pile of junk. And then Genesis also was hailed as this is a throwback to the original thing. We're in revisiting the original set. It's just like in Avengers Infinity War that just happened where we're going to basically go back to the first movie and recreate some of those scenes, which they didn't actually have. I just read they didn't have access to the footage. They couldn't even reuse any footage from the original one. They had to recreate it from scratch, make it a computer generated young naked Arnold in the same pose that he was in in number one because of that little legal thing. But then, like, you know, have somebody kill off that Terminator right at the beginning there. And then retrospectively, I guess because it didn't do as well in the theater as as people thought, then, oh, well, actually, that was a pile of junk. This new one, this is the first one that really has James Cameron's, uh, he's an executive producer, and it's it's just as good as one and two, and it's, it's a direct sequel to number two. So there you go. But I'm also then hearing simultaneously, and this sets the ground for they could make sequels to this one because now they've established a new female John Connor equivalent that they could follow through. But yet it didn't do well enough at the box office. So I guess all plans for that are canceled. So there won't be another one for a while. (laughs) What I'm hearing, Mark, is that the producers of Terminator are rewriting history. Is that what I'm hearing? (laughs) Oh, All right, good podcast, everyone. That was great. Good meta. <laughs> We're going to travel back in time to the beginning of this podcast. Well, should we maybe use the first two Terminator films just very briefly to set up some of these different views of time travel, which the first one was this loop, right? Which it turns out, even though the machines from the future were not able to kill the human savior's mother, the fact that the Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator got squished in a big industrial press left the technology that actually allowed Cyberdyne systems to create, it's implied in the last minute of the movie, to create the Terminators in the first place. What do you guys think about that, first of all, like as a closed loop thing? If they hadn't come back to try to prevent the thing, then they wouldn't have existed in the first place. So they actually succeeded in a way beyond their wildest imaginings. Right. The first Terminator movie on its own is definitely a whatever happened happened with a time travel loop in it. You can't fight fate is what you're saying, right? Yep. 
Erica is referring to a, a list on TV tropes of the different forms of time travel, which really aren't, I think, mechanisms so much as narrative tropes. And they have some overlap, but the very first one on the list is you can't fight fate. But later on the list is the Terminator twosome, named after, obviously, this movie. So that's going on in there. But this idea that people are making decisions and things are happening, but what really is going on always went on, and that's just built into the timeline. So all these things that are being done to try to prevent a certain future really always happened, in a sense. That's my take on it anyway. It's a little silly that... There is some future where there are Terminators, and, and there's another where they aren't, but still, everything that happens in the 1980s suggests that this is how it has to happen in the 1980s for the future to happen. Is this what they mean by the bootstrap paradox? Where sort of, I'm my own grandfather, or I know Peter Capaldi's Doctor Who actually explains this whole thing in an episode of Doctor Who. So the idea is that we had to go back in time to create the ability to go back in time with the Terminator, that is. So the definition of bootstrap paradox is pulling yourself up from your bootstraps, which is, I guess, not possible. Right. Things that have no real initial genesis because they have, have always, they only exist in a loop where they create itself. Have you guys seen Dark? Yes. On Netflix. That is great. That's also what it's reminding me of. I am still completely confused after two seasons of this really intriguing German series. And yeah, we're getting into that same idea of like, who created the time machine and how did they do it? And this person who was a little boy also ends up being the father who killed himself. Uh, I mean, spoiler, sorry, spoiler for dark, but I'm actually not, <laughs> I'm not being specific enough that it's going to ruin anything for you. Yeah. You'll still be confused. Even you'll still be completely confused. <laughs> Could you do all this in German, please? <laughs> if only. Yeah. I misspoke in the first Terminator movie. There is no alternate future. It's just John Connor has defeated the Terminators. It's really the second Terminator that has a different set of rules where we're, now going back into time, and we're no longer having this you-can't-fight fate because we have a future where the Terminators don't win, where they aren't created. This whole future-isn't-fixed thing that we hear in the voiceover. Do they totally change the rules in the Terminator starting with the second one? Am I wrong about that? It might just be that the characters are not sure in number one. They're just like, I guess I have to send you back you know, in the future to, to save my mom. I guess I have to do that because that's the way things actually happened. And so it's this interesting feeling, and this happens in Dark a lot as well, where things did happen this way, therefore I should make them happen this way, because if I don't, then something terrible is going to happen. So it's not just that it's a descriptive fact that time is fixed, but it becomes prescriptive that you better, which I think it's most hilarious in the early episode of the revived Doctor Who, where these alien bat things will come, basically the sidekick her dad had died and she goes back in time and saves her dad. And because she's done that, then these time-eating creatures, which never, I think, come back ever in Doctor Who, you'd think they would be ever-present if this were really a thing. But I think this is just an idea they played with that, no, in fact, you better go kill your dad and, and set things back the way they were or else these uh, time-correcting creatures are going to come and kill us all and destroy the universe. Thankfully, as I recall, she didn't have to kill her father. She just had to go back again and refrain from saving him, which is a little bit better than having to push him in front of a car. I'll remember that, Ken. All right. I actually really liked that episode. And to me, being able to go back 
feel like you can change something and realize you can't, but being a changed person because of it is the time travel that kind of works for me. Because yes, it's frustrating that you couldn't change what you thought you wanted to, but in a way you did because you have a deeper understanding of why you couldn't and why things need to be the way they are, which is what happened with her and her father. She's still got time with him, which I think is the really important part of that. I'm so glad we're talking about Doctor Who and a discussion about the mechanics of time travel. This is a time machine that is powered by the requirements of the plot. So, oh no, we can't because apparently we can't this week. They've even written off at characters, right? Amy and Rory. Oh, well, I guess you're stuck because for some reason we can't do it anymore. I saw your gravestone and therefore that solidifies the fact that you lived this whole life in that area and that is now set and I can't go disrupt that. You're stuck in New York and unfortunately no trains go to Cleveland. So I guess we'll never see you again. (laughs) I like the fact in Doctor Who when they use that to make some of the former companions pissed off. Like, why did you never visit me again? It's not like you couldn't make time to come visit me ever again. You left me there for 40 years. What the hell is wrong with you? Yeah, that makes it very difficult to be like, you know, an absent friend when you've got a time machine. (laughs) I'm no longer interested in you. We're breaking up. That's all. (laughs) Although if you had a time machine and you're like saying really awesome stuff and saving the world, why would you want to go and just have a conversation with somebody who's just stayed stagnant the whole time? You know what I mean? I don't know. I would like to think I wouldn't be that, that way, but... I don't want to be judged as having a stagnant life because I don't have a time machine. It's like, why are you still living in that 21st century, Brian? I'm like, I don't know. Nothing I can do about it. All right. Well, maybe we should save a more detailed treatment of the doctor and his motivations for a future episode because there's too much juice there. But back to the time travel thing in particular. So Terminator 2 was the, we've actually now prevented Skynet from developing. But there's still the feeling, so Terminator 3, it comes out that, oh, it was just delayed, because I think this is the fear about AI, that it's sort of inevitable that somebody's going to develop a super AI, and unless they do it in a way that is safe, and there are debates of sort of what that means, that you have to set it up as having human goals, as caring about people, rather than just, you know, do whatever you need to do to accomplish your task. Because once you say your task is to, you know, create paperclips, and then you make it super intelligent, then it might determine that the way to do that is to turn everything in the universe into paperclips. And then we're all dead. So, like, unless we take active measures to make AI safe, and AI will develop, somebody's going to do it. You know, so it seems like this is the fear that Elon Musk and others have championed. There is going to be some kind of Skynet thing that will turn on us, and it's just a matter of time. What I think you're getting at, Mark, and I guess I hadn't thought of this before, there is a whole type of time travel story that suggests that the timeline is a really taut rubber band that you can throw them on it and it'll it'll move, and that's when you're traveling through time and trying to change it, it'll move a little bit, but it goes back to where its starting place was, that it's things will resist and things will go back to how they're supposed to be. So maybe the inevitability of AI is the future that the timeline keeps trying to get back to. It kind of makes time travel pointless as a result. So I know I'm just continuing to shit on the Terminator movies, but that's maybe one way of looking at that. That was sort of a Star Trek answer by just giving a simplified metaphor. Can you explain time travel? Well, it's like a rubber band. (laughs) It's like a message in a bottle. In a time machine. So you guys have written about time travel. We've published two stories that involve time travel. Yeah. All right. How did you approach it? What kind of research did you do and how did you decide to 
treat the genre? And were you happy with it or does it still bother you to this day? You take one of them, Ken. I think I'll take The Sentence is Always Death. And that story Brian and I did, as much as any story we've written, I think a lot of working on the plot together. And time travel was part of that story from the very beginning, as I recall, even though it was very far from the only important science fiction element of of the plot. I felt like we were trying to be very careful to limit the absurdity of time travel. We tried to make it a bit austere and responsible, which is a tough thing to do, as I said earlier in the podcast, <laughs> assuming it stays in the, it makes it through editing, that there's going to be paradox in your time travel story unless you're, you know, it's like Planet of the Apes and you're only going forward. Um, mm-hmm. So we actually had information being sent backward. And actually, uh, information being sent backward is, if anything, a little easier to manage, right? Because when you start sending stuff backwards, I guess it's now you've got the same person, you know, next to his or her childhood age self. The novel Timescape does the same kind of thing. It it limits itself to sending information into the past. We had uh, information being sent, but it was pretty important information. It was information to uh, determine who uh, was going to get a death penalty in the past. I realize that changes the future also. Brian, did you feel that we were trying to be careful there, that we didn't want it to be far-flung like Doctor Who or Rick and Morty? You know, I think that's right. And that is, you know, not to get too much into the details of kind of the mechanisms of that story or, or where it goes, but we really did. And we even had some other things that we put in place in that story, being you weren't just strictly executed in the past, you had a probabilistic poison dose given to you. So you didn't necessarily die immediately. You died when the timeline allowed you to die when you had done anything that was important to the timeline. And once you had done that, you were done. So I thought we had a, I don't want to suggest that we had a completely unique take on anything, but it was not the most common way that I've seen time travel work in a story. And then the other one we published called One Way Trip in a Stasis Suit, that is largely a set right what once went wrong, perhaps, type of story. But again, I think we were trying to be a little careful with that one as well. Time travel existed, and it wasn't just something that anybody could do, though. In fact, it was a time travel drive that was put on a ship traveling near the speed of light. So then it was making a trip, and this trip is relativistically traveling forward in time. And when it gets to its destination, it does this little time travel jump backwards to kind of keep civilization all on the same timeline. So oh, okay. it's misused in that story to try to avert a disaster. But again, we were trying to not just make this easy to go back in time kind of device. So we were trying to think of what's a reasonable way someone might actually use time travel if they had it. And are you guys pleased with how that came out? Or do you still try to figure out those paradoxes? Like, is there any way to get a- away from that idea when you're dealing with time travel to be like, but this one thing still didn't quite make sense. I think there's a certain amount of acceptance that when you write time travel, you're making a decision, which rules do I want to break? How much do I want to have a very tight set of rules? And how much am I willing just to go crazy with it? You know, where you've got people bouncing around time and back and forth in multiple universes. I mean, Doctor Who can be super crazy with it, but many other shows do the same thing. 
I could see actually having a lot of fun with a story with very loose time travel rules, but the two that we wrote that were published, I don't think do that, and I was really glad to have a very tight story. In fact, some of the tension is in the fact that there's limitations on what you can do, and is a question of whether or not not only can we change the past, but maybe did we already? Did I give it too much away, Brian? No, <laughs> I think that's fine. No, I, I will say, though, Ken, that I, I feel like there are loose ways of dealing with time travel I would not enjoy doing because they irritate me. Right? There are things that I've seen done elsewhere, and it wouldn't make me happy to write a story about time travel where, all right, I'll, I'll point out a couple things over the years, seeing the gradual change that we see in Back to the Future of Marty's family disappearing by fading out of a picture and like only partly like what picture is that of? I mean, what are, what are we looking at there? I mean, I, it's done so much better in Looper. For example, we start seeing changes of a person who's clearly being decapitated in the past and he's starting to have future in the present. He, he's missing more things, but it's not, I don't know if you want to say it's that's actually better, but it's not like this weird fading out of a picture makes no sense to me. And yet it's such an iconic moment. Like who doesn't know that moment? And maybe it's because it's more of a psychological thing for us to watch that and think of ourselves fading out of history. And it's poetic in that way. And yeah, it's simplistic and it doesn't make sense, but at least maybe it's because I saw it as a child, but it was really scary to think oh, and about And it has that. impact. I totally yeah. agree that it, it works. And the fact that it's an adventure comedy. So I think sometimes it's hard because like Doctor Who, like you're saying, uses so many different types of rules. Even though it's a show about time travel, it's not a, really a show about time travel. It's like an episodic show in a lot of ways. It's about like, you know, the interactions he has with these people and how he's trying to help people in different places. Like in a lot of ways, like Quantum Leap was trying to do the same thing, right? It's setting things right. And so it's more of a moral story maybe than it feels like, even though it is about time travel, it doesn't feel like it's about time travel. Whereas something like Terminator, which is more of an action thing, it like spends more time on the time travel aspect. Well, and some stories really are just space travel stories, and to tell the story, it needs to be set in the past or the future, but we're not worrying about the mechanics of the time part. It just got us to that episode. Let's stop for a minute. Brian, tell us about our sponsor this week. Pretty Much Pop is made possible by Mack Weldon, a brand of men's essentials that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. I know maybe you're thinking, I'm not a premium clothing kind of guy, or my guy isn't a premium clothing kind of guy. But look, if you're going to treat yourself right with clothing, shouldn't it be the clothing that gets all close and personal with your business? I'm talking underpants, and socks, and undershirts, and hoodies, and sweats, and slippers. I'm a Mack Weldon customer, and I can tell you that Mack Weldon clothes will be the most comfortable you'll ever put on. I climbed into a pair of pro-knit performance long underwear for the first snow of the season, and they kept me cozy and warm without bunching or binding. It was almost a pleasure to shovel snow. And for anyone keeping track at home on my adventures with the 18-hour jersey brief, I am really proud to report that I have successfully pushed them to 52 hours, and I think I can achieve triple digits. If you think you're up to that sort of challenge, you should order some for yourself. First-time Mack Weldon customers get 20% off their first order. Visit MacWeldon.com. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com and enter the promo code POP. You'll love the simple shopping experience, and they're guaranteed that if you don't like your first pair of underpants, you can keep it and get a refund. But you will like them, because unless you're wearing Mack Weldon clothes right this very second, 
I guarantee that Mack Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. Thanks, Brian. Let's get back to it. I thought it was fun. I read at some point that Doctor Who was originally conceived. It was pitched to the network as educational show because they would go back to the past and you would look at what things were like in Roman times. So it was a time travel tourism show. Sherman and Mr. Peabody? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why I find a lot of time travel appealing. You want to get a peek into what something could be or what something was. That's one reason. Another reason might be to, of course, set something right that went wrong. And I love in this list that you gave us, Brian, set right what once went wrong. One of the things it says is, remember, Hitler has time travel exemption. So like, it's okay. You can't, like, there are certain things that you don't want to go back and set right because it doesn't really matter. But like Hitler, we will definitely do that. Anybody will do that. Yeah. So that description in tvtropes.org is after all, the guy survived 42 known real-life assassination attempts, right? So the fact that it's not a matter of fate, it's just that it would be really hard to do to go kill Hitler. But if you catch him as a baby, it'd probably be there easy. There we go. Yeah, that's what everybody wants to do. Everybody wants to kill a baby. <laughs> I just have a feeling that even if we did that, there would be somebody equally as evil to take the place. There is a story by Roald Dahl and his Tales of the Unexpected, I think it was, where there's this little baby who's sick and every, we're all getting worried about this baby and is he going to make it? And finally, at the end, the doctor saves the baby and the last line is, the boy will live, Frau Hitler. And we're all like, oh man, oh. <laughs> that was unexpected. Yeah, that's actually mean to do that to your reader. <laughs> so Brian, one of the things you talked about is that have we played out this genre, Right. Have we hit our limit with time travel, or are we just getting started? Well, the evidence sort of suggests no. Time travel stories are more and more common, and while there's quite a few bad ones, we still get like some fresh, good, new time travel stories year by year. Because there's no one set of rules and there's so many different takes on it, I don't think we're going to run out of time travel stories or even good ones. It's sort of surprising that we haven't at this point. I feel like it's a newer variant like, as long as there's evolution in the way this is being treated, and I think the acknowledgement of the absurdity and the backlog, so Rick and Morty, in other words, is one new thing, sort of treating it comedically. Also, this multiverse thing, the idea that you know, you've know you created a new version of reality, but once you set that up, then maybe the other ones are still there. So combining these two, that Hulu series Future Man, this is sort of a spoiler, but it doesn't really matter for enjoying the show that it's kind of revealed at the end of the series to date that every time you travel back, even this, the question is there, the main characters are trying to save time by just being able to run really fast from point A to point B by turning time back just like a few seconds at a time. So they run, they turn time back, they run a little more, they turn time. Well, every single time they do this, they're apparently creating an alternate version of themselves, right? They can see this new version behind them. And every single one of those then has a time travel device and goes it's not that you just create a new version of reality. It's that that version of reality exists alongside all the other ones. So there's versions of them in each of these going wreaking havoc on the time stream. I like the idea, right? That's what happened to Rick and Morty, right? We've destroyed the world. Well, let's just go into a parallel dimension where we didn't destroy the world. <laughs> like Reduce the stakes to zero. You know, another reasonably fresh take on it was uh, The Edge of Tomorrow, it did something not new, which is doing the repeat the day, maybe sort of like Groundhog Day, but it was super grim. But it still felt like a totally fresh movie. And the main character, Tom Cruise, keeps getting a little bit further each day and uses what he learned from the previous day to make it through in a violent alien 
war, but somehow that movie is like nothing I've seen before. And I don't know what the next great time travel story is going to be, but I feel like there's so much more to still be done. I didn't originally think of this as a time travel show, but I was as I was reading through the material, it, it hit me. Did you see The Haunting of Hill House? Mm-hmm. So, so The Haunting of Hill House, spoiler if you haven't seen it, and I do suggest you see it, so just skip over this. There is a moment in Haunting of Hill House that is absolutely terrifying because you realize somebody has been haunted by themselves, by a vision of themselves in the future. And it was, to me, an extremely fresh way to show the horror that we inflict upon ourselves or that, that we are able to inflict upon ourselves. That was one that I would highly recommend. And secondly, one that was really, really fun. This sequel just came out this past year, but um, Happy Death Day and then Happy Death Day to You. Silly, silly little films, but very funny. And the first one deals with the time loop a la Groundhog Day. And in fact, they bring up Groundhog Day at one point. Her friends are like, oh, so you're like going through a Groundhog Day thing. And she's like, what is that? And they're like, seriously, you've never seen Groundhog Day? I mean, it is partially her getting better. The idea behind it is she's been such a bitch to so many people. Like when she dies and then wakes up, there are endless amounts of people it could be. So she has to investigate how she's treated people to see which one of them it is that eventually does kill her. And then the sequel tries to one-up that and creates an alternate timeline where she ends up back in that loop after she's broken it the first time. I think what I'm hearing a little bit is that you need to be maybe more innovative when you're doing something serious. And if you're doing comedy, we can kind of use the same tropes that we've used before. I haven't gotten through all of Russian Doll yet, but I don't feel like we're seeing anything really innovative with right. time travel, but I'm seeing something pretty funny and new comedy is is always welcome. You're right, Mark. We're definitely going to see more multiverse stuff, especially once it's been done in the Marvel universe and people get really comfortable with it and we feel like you can actually do that. But when it comes to just, oh, well, in Hot Tub Time Machine, we go back to the 80s because that's an era we're going to make fun of now. And at some point in the future, people are going to travel back to the Trump era because that's going to be something to make fun of in the future. So there's always going to be room to mine the past to make fun of. That's easy to do with time travel or going back into history and messing around in it and fixing it, which has been done. And we mentioned Sherman and Mr. Peabody and, of course, Brian and Stewie doing it later on. And we're going to continue to go back and mess things up and, and fix them. As I was looking back through all, all of my favorites, I realized that probably my favorite time travel movie is Interstellar. And they had, you know, a scientific consultant with them the whole time that didn't allow them to do certain tropes and made them stay as, as scientifically accurate as they possibly could with it. You're right. I guess you're right, Brian. So like, if you're going to do a time travel movie, you better be good about sticking to some sort of rules. But if you're doing a comedy with time travel elements, who cares? But Interstellar was such a beautiful way to interact with that world and also incredibly heart-wrenching as well. I see that's a Nolan thing, which makes me think of the prestige, which sort of a related time travel genre is this, what was just came up in this new Living With Yourself show, which is not time travel, but a lot of ways that time travel could go end up with two of you being around, sort of depending on how the rules work. But it seems that if a certain view, if you travel in time, then you go back and stop yourself from traveling in time. Well, then there's you that's there, and then there's the you that never got in the time machine, 
And so now you have a permanent clone and maybe you could do this over and over again. I remember if you guys ever watched those Cartoon Network, this is a sort of prefiguring Rick and Morty, but those space ghost things. So there was a, the Brack show, like I didn't do my homework. I played head kicker all day. So let me go back in time. But then ones of me that go back in time, just watch the other ones play head kicker. <laughs> so they go back in time again and again and again. And there's a big, a giant room of, of Brack and Zorak, these cartoon characters, just watching the head kicker and the homework never got done. So uh, I like this idea of what to do with the multiples. That seems something that is yet to be fully played out. It was done to horrible effect in Time Cop. Does anyone? No, never saw that one. Did anyone see that? It's one of those that has a ridiculous rule where if you see yourself back in time, like that's okay, but if the two versions of you touch each other, like you like explode in this big mm-hmm. protoplasmic mess because for some reason you're not allowed to like get that close to each other to touch. And it was just one of these arbitrary rules for the purpose of the the story that makes absolutely no sense. Like, why should that be so important that, oh, well, we can be in the same room, but if we touch, there's going to be walls <laughs> to clean off. <laughs> I had forgotten that. I think that was sort of implied in that same Doctor Who episode that we were talking about before with the bats that clean up time, that if sidekick goes back and holds her baby self, then that's very bad for some reason. You know, the Doctor gets it just that it won't be permitted. Like there are things that just can't be done because of fixed points and things that have just happened with a capital H rather than with a lowercase h. The rules change on Doctor Who. <laughs> what are other people's, I'd like to hear about favorites and also pet peeves when it comes to time travel stories. Some of my favorites, I think I was, uh, before we sat down to record, I was writing out some of the earliest time travel stories I remember viewing. So Think of somebody growing up in the late seventies as, you know, and starting to at that age be able to uh, understand or watch time travel shows. And so I guess I'm fond of things I would have seen at that age. Time bandits have fond memories of watching the Tom Baker Doctor Who of the late seventies, early eighties. But also these are already in reruns now, but there's a bunch of great Twilight Zone episodes that employ time travel. And when you consider that those are from the fifties, yeah, I think they get extra credit for doing good time travel stories and also morality plays at the same time, even a decade before Doctor Who, which is pretty cool. I guess uh, some of the episodes I recall were a um, hundred yards over the rim, no time like the past, and a kind of stopwatch are three examples of some very early Twilight Zones that utilize time travel pretty well. Do you guys remember those stories good enough? I'm sure Brian does because I can't remember what the second one Mm-mm. is. No time like the past. That's the one where he, there's a, a guy in modern times who is fed up with the modern life and he wants to go back to the past and, and enjoy sort of, you know, the simpler world, but he kind of can't help changing some horrible things that happened in the past. And at one point he uh, accidentally is the one starting a fire that he was hoping to prevent a historical fire. He falls in love with someone from the past as well. Do you remember this at all? I don't remember that one. Uh, certainly, a hundred yards over the rim with the pioneers and the sick boy and the penicillin is one that does stick out in my mind. And you remember the stopwatch one, which I guess I'm not totally sure if that's time travel. Stopping time, being stuck out of time. Yeah, he's he's stop, he's got a stopwatch and he stops it and he runs around and does. Does what he wants with the world when it's when it's frozen, and then he restarts it. 
redone fabulously in the movie The Girl, the Gold Watch, and everything with Pam Dauber in the <laughs> 80s, I guess. That one really piqued my imagination. I got to say, that was a, a common source of fantasy for me as a kid of, I don't want to be here. I just want to stop time and go off and do various perverted things. This is my teenage <laughs> imagination. It was really, it was really quite horrible. <laughs> you know, Mark, it's still a fantasy for me, but so often it's like, I want to just stop time and just put my head down. Yeah. And take- <laughs> well, that is also what I was thinking. I don't want to do this right now. I want to take a nap and then do it. And, but then I would get old way faster than everybody else. I would take so many <laughs> stop time so many times. <laughs> Why are you so old? That's your, your middle age fantasy. I played video games for, <laughs> for the day. Well, everybody else was stopped. (laughs) (laughs) We were going to talk about why time travel stories are so interesting and why the whole culture is so fascinated by it. And I think we're kind of hitting on one of the reasons, and that is, if you were to play the game of what would you rather have, the ability to fly or the ability to be invisible or super strength or some other power? The answer is time travel wins every one of those questions. What power would you rather have beyond time travel? Because time travel can do all the things you want to do. You know, I want to fly so that I can get from point A to B faster. Oh, well, a time machine will do that. Or I want to be invisible so I can rob banks. Oh, you can do that with a time machine too. Or you could go into the future to get when any of these things are invented, right? I'm going to travel to the 28th century and get my invisibility cloak or whatever. Like that's all out there in the future. Yeah, but there's also the possibility of messing everything up. The likelihood of messing everything up. (laughs) Yeah. And it also, it depends on how the rules work, because if, can you really reset your mistakes? Like, does it actually reset, or is it, no, that thing actually happened, it's just you can go back in time and make another one of you to try to cover for the mistakes that you just made. So imagine you have the ability, you know, this is also part of why we like the idea of time travel, even if it's just within our own personal timeline. A conversation you have in life is, man, if I could do that over again, I would do this, right? But Then, of course, you have the paradox of when you go back and do it, are there two of you then? Like, do you still exist? Does the old you still exist with the memories of what you did wrong the first time? Or do you just cease to exist because you've changed it and now you just, there's a different, you know, the different you with the different choice has that timeline. If it is the former, you're still stuck with the guilt of the crap that you messed up. It's just everybody else doesn't remember it. And doesn't that suck worse in a way? Your humanity is... Yeah, you just got to deal with you're the only one who knows that how shitty you are and everybody else thinks you're great, but it's just because you had the chance to fix it. I think I'm okay with that. You know, I'm going to be traveling through time in a pretty guilt-free way because I know I'm not smart enough to have created whatever the device is. So someone else did, and the world isn't destroyed yet. Or, or actually, look around, maybe the world actually is destroyed, right? Maybe we're already living in the world someone screwed up, but yeah, sure, you know, it's like, come on. I mean, what am I... How much can I really mess things up? Someone else has already done this for me. Uh, I don't know. I guess you didn't grow up Southern Baptist because I got to tell you, every time I do something wrong, guilt, even if it was years ago. (laughs) Well, that's right, Erica. I did not grow up Southern Baptist. (laughs) (laughs) But I might be able to go back in time and fix that. Oh. No, probably I won't. What you were getting at, Ken, I think also, in addition to all these things that you get 
by having a time machine, as opposed to the other choices, is you get immortality. It, not the hard way where you actually have to live through the present to get to the future. You start getting older and you start thinking about the fact that, yeah, I'm not going to be around in the year 2100, whatever. That's fixed with the time machine. And the articles, we had a few articles with interviews with uh, James Glick, who wrote the book Time Travel, A History. He, he starts getting into that, this idea of why time travel is so interesting to people and has remained a fascination. And one of those is, I think this, right, we all want to say fear death, but you know, it's, it's a reality that we're all facing and time travel lets us cheat it in a way. Even if we still go, eventually we can go beyond our years in either direction with time travel in a way that we're just not going to be able to, we're going to get to see things that we want within our natural lifetimes without a time machine. With that, I have to recommend about time because it's, to me, one of the simplest ways to talk about time travel and what you can actually get from it that's really valuable. And in the end, like, what are we looking for? We're looking for time. We're looking for more time. We're looking for time maybe to do things, to set things right. We're looking for time to talk to ancestors or to go into the future and see what the offspring of our family is like. But like, we just want time. What are you referring to, Erica? There's a film called About Time with Bill Nye. It's a Richard Curtis film who I just, we should talk about in the context of romantic comedies at some point. Yeah, it's an, it's an excellent, it's mostly like known as a romantic comedy, but like the device used in it is time travel. And it's done in a very sweet way. It's just like the first generation boy of the family has the ability to travel through time, but only within your own lifetime. And also like these are good people. So the idea is not to go and change anything drastically and Right away, the dad explaining it to the son is saying, like, yeah, like money, that's not really going to be helpful. You don't want to deal with that because it just brings about its own problems. I pulled this up and I see a poster with Rachel McAdams yes. laughing in the rain. And and you don't want to see that? I try to push through and I see that the other person is Domhnall Gleeson. So there's, and he's kind of a stalwart of a lot of good science fiction these days. So I'm going to. Donald Gleason is is amazing. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. How do you say his name? I said it wrong. Donald. Donald. Yeah. You were talking about immortality, and it occurs to me that perhaps full blown immortality that you just get to live on forever might actually win the argument for some people between what should you do rather have the ability to travel in time or the ability to live forever because time travel does solve some of your immortality problems, but not the big one, right? The the problem that you eventually die. And for some people who may really be fixated on on their own death, I could see someone actually, it wouldn't be me, by the way. I, if you told me, I would have to trade my last 10 years of my life for the ability to, to travel in time. I, I, that's, a, that's an easy yes. Well, maybe not at my age now, but if you would have given me that option at age 20, I would have said yes. Again, you can always travel to the future when immortality is invented in the year 2023. <laughs> <laughs> Just got to make it a few more years. I got this. It's going to be different, though. It's going to look different. It's going to be like a total AI thing. You know, immortality. They're just going to download our memories. That's all. I thought of another example of sort of a, a silly time travel movie, but that was appealing enough that it had sequels and, and the butterfly effect. Did you guys see that? Yes. I mean, it's an Aston Kutcher vehicle, so that sort of tells you something right there. But I find it's definitely objectively a bad film, but I I found it 
strangely compelling, probably better than Happy Death Day in terms of silly time travel things because there is some sort of dramatic, even just, I think it's in the trailer that like the premise is you can go back in time, but you can only go back in your own body and appear at that moment. So it's like, I wish I had done this thing differently in the past. So it's just, he's there as a kid and suddenly he has a strange adult like behavior and can tell off somebody like, you stop molesting your daughter or I'm going to kill you, you know? And then he goes back to being a child, right? So it was just him visiting his spirit, basically visiting his old body. And then he gets to see what happens in the future. And the fact that in one of those things, he sees that his, like he's missing limbs because of something that he chose. You know, there's some startling jump scares and things involved in that. Mark, it's a terribly named movie because the butterfly effect refers to going back in time and changing one teeny tiny thing and it having these big impacts on the future, right? That's the Ray Bradbury story. And here he's going back in time and really doing these really big things. It's just in addition to it being a, not a very good movie. With By the way, I remember the character's name was Evan Treborn, which is to say <laughs> Event Reborn. Like, oh, no. Oh, man. Yeah. And originally, apparently, it was Chris Treborn, like Christ Reborn, and like oh. they thought that was too heavy-handed. <laughs> so they totally fixed it. <laughs> Way to dodge a bullet there, guys. They actually did improve it, because Event Reborn at least makes a little bit of sense in, the, in a time travel story. But Christ reborn, holy smokes. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Ken. I, I predict I'm looking in the future and I see that you will be back on some future episodes with us. So this is not the one and only time that you'll get to hear Ken's voice on this podcast. Ah, that is great. I will be glad to be back. I really enjoyed talking to the three of you about time travel. Thanks, Ken. It was great to meet you. Ah, <laughs> yes, it was great to meet you, Ken. Uh, Me too, guys. You have, you have a great voice, but, you know, I guess it's just because I'm, I'm used to the dulcet tones of your brother. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, Whoa. what do you think about this? <laughs> Sometimes when I'm imitating Brian, I do curve with the frog. Mark, what do you think? <laughs> and with, without giving it Brian a chance to hit back. Let us uh, wrap up for our public listeners. If folks want to go to patreon.com slash partialexaminedlife, we're going to keep talking. Maybe we'll even get Ken to keep talking for a few minutes here to see what we what we actually thought, what we really wanted to say, movies we didn't want to, to spoil, etc. So, so long, everybody. Bye. 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 Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life podcast network, and it's also presented by openculture.com.